Welcome to Historic Knoxville News, a podcast series based on readings from old Knoxville newspapers. I'm Melissa Brenneman, Robbie Griffith is the reader, and Knox County historian Steve Cottom is our interpretive guide. This article is entitled A Night on the Bowery. It was published in the Journal and Tribune, Sunday, July 8, 1900. A Night on the Bowery, where nine-tenths of criminal elements congregate. Probably most residents of Knoxville have ridden or walked through that portion of the city known as the Bowery, more or less, especially when the route to Chilhowee Park was by way of the Bell Avenue cars. Some may have wandered through many of the streets which comprise what is known as the Bowery District by day, but comparatively few venture there at night, especially after midnight, unless called by pressing business. The portion of Central Street known as the Bowery was probably originally named for the famous thoroughfare in New York, which it resembles in many respects. The Bowery merges into the Cripple Creek District at its northern end, near what was formerly Hardy Street, and the two have a distinctive life of their own entirely different from that of any other locality in the city. In this district is congregated probably nine-tenths of the criminal element of the city. The saloons and dives in the district are filled after nightfall with a motley assemblage of men and women, white and black, for the color line is very lightly regarded in most of the places, and all men are equal so long as they have the price of a drink about them. Most of the saloons in the entire district are of the all-night variety, and many have free and easy attachments, where men and women may sit at their little tables and drink and smoke, especially drink, all night, provided their nickels and dimes hold out that long, or that the barkeeper happens to be good-natured enough to allow them to sleep somewhere on the floor or elsewhere until morning. If their company is not wanted, a convenient constable or policeman can be found and charges of loitering preferred, which will ensure their removal from the place. Of course, in the entire district, all kinds of business are carried on. Besides the saloons, which are at night the most prominent places in the district, there are scores of cheap restaurants and eating houses, cheap lodging houses, several of the largest livery stables in the city, a few pawn shops, second-hand stores in profusion, two or three small drug stores, whose principal business at night seems to be the sale of morphine and cocaine, the twin friends of the district, which are sending many of its inhabitants, especially women and girls, to their graves. A trip through the Bowery District by day gives but little idea of what it is like at night. Then only the squalor is apparent in the more degraded sections of the streets comprising the district, while in other portions are some of the busiest places in the city, the hitchfeed stables filled with teams from the country, their owners regaling themselves in the restaurants and eating houses or in the saloons, which set forth the most appetizing free lunch, while the cheap John stores and second-hand goods men are making their daily bread. But it is not until the electric lights begin to blink and the musicians in the saloons and other places begin to tune their instruments and pound on the badly out-of-tune pianos that some of the places boast that the Bowery and Cripple Creek really begin to wake up. And by 10 o'clock, when the Negro population, that portion of which, which works, has gotten home and dressed for the night, that the life of the district is fairly on. The police force in this district is always doubled at night, and in spite of this precaution, more than three-quarters of the arrests and of the serious cutting and shooting affrays which occur in the city are listed on the police dockets from some of the streets in this part of the city. 
The liveliest scenes may be witnessed almost any night along Central Avenue, east from the Southern Railway crossing, for two or three blocks, and this portion of the Bowery is particularly lively on Saturday night. The saloon doors stand wide open, and the screens, which in the uptown places always hide the interior, are often pushed back at many of the Bowery places, so that the enticements of the interior are plainly visible from the street. A score or more of the saloons along this lively thoroughfare cater especially to the Negro trade, and in them the little tables are always crowded with men and women drinking beer. For in spite of the fact that whiskey is sold in large quantities in these places, beer continues to be the favorite beverage of the large majority of their customers. Many of the larger places run free and easies in connection with the saloons, and in these rooms the customers are privileged to do about as they please, provided no disturbance is made that will bring a police raid on the place, which frequently happens. If a row does start, the belligerents are hustled out into the street as soon as possible, and there the police on the beat usually quell the incipient riot by arresting all concerned and locking them up for the night in the city calaboose. From ten o'clock until midnight, the entire street swarms with humanity, white and black, probably half of those on the street being more or less under the influence of beer or whiskey, and the only wonder is that the street is as quiet as it is. The crowd is nearly always good-natured, laughing and chatting and joking with each other, and it makes little difference whether the wayfarer is acquainted or not, for if he has the price of a few beers, he can always count on plenty of friends. Quite frequently, the jokes grow into quarrels, and if the beat were not patrolled so thoroughly by the police, these would often end in serious affrays, for the women especially who frequent some of the questionable resorts on the Bowery nearly all pride themselves on being game and are ready to produce a knife on very slight provocation. But the approach of a couple of stalwart figures in blue with the glittering star of the police force on their coats is a signal for subduing the loud and boisterous talk and the quarrel is postponed until some more convenient occasion. Still, not all the life of the Bowery is bad, and all sorts of queer characters and scenes may be met with in a stroll down the street on almost any evening, although the Bowery is always livelier on Saturday nights than at any other time. Then the Negro swains and their sweethearts can be seen promenading among the dimly lighted streets, stopping to refresh themselves at a soda fountain or fruit store, while groups of teamsters or raftsmen from the mountains ramble among the crowd, gazing into the second-hand stores in search of bargains, or bringing up at every saloon for a drink, although as a rule the raftsmen prefer to buy a bottle of whiskey to wasting his money in buying their drinks over the bar. At the few small drug stores which can be found in the district all night long, pale-faced women or girls or boys scarcely out of their teens, with bloodshot eyes and bloated features showing long dissipation, come slipping in and go out with a tell-tale little round box of powdered cocaine or morphine. Crowds can be seen in all the bars, drinking beer and laughing or dancing, while out on the sidewalks in front, a dozen Negroes will be singing or dancing to the music which comes out from the saloon doors. Farther down the streets, where the saloons are not quite so close together, there's not so much light, but many doors stand wide open, and faces of women, powdered thickly in pink and white, peer out at the passers-by, and often some girl is seen staggering along the streets, finally ending in a night spree in the city lockup.
Very few of the bars in this district are gorgeously furnished, and most of them do not waste any money on show so that they can furnish unlimited amounts of the biggest glasses of beer to be had for the rest. One of these places, way up the creek, is a mere board shack with a counter of rough boards, behind which is another board, whereon are two or three dingy bottles containing alleged whiskey and brandy, and a small beer cooler. Yet this place boasts of a string orchestra, and does as large a business as some of the big, expensively furnished bars on Gate Street. Near this place is a Negro restaurant, which is one of the curiosities of the district. The menu is not elaborate, consisting mostly of boiled pork and cabbage, fried fish, chicken, and ham. This is varied, according to the season, by an occasional dish of pig's feet and similar delicacies. In the summer, the restaurant business is the only one carried on, but in the winter, the place also becomes a lodging home. The transformation is accomplished by putting in a small stove and marking off the floor with chalk into rooms for which a charge of five and ten cents per night is made. Those nearest the stove are the ten-cent rooms, while those near the door or at the sides of the shack where the cracks are largest bring the lower price. The proprietor is very particular to watch his boarders and unceremoniously kicks and cuffs the five-cent people back into their places if they encroach on the territory sold to the higher-tone lodgers who have paid a dime for their night's entertainment. The further down the street towards the river, the smaller and dingier grows the bars. Yet at the lower end of the Bowery, and just around the corner on Cumberland Avenue, the People's Tabernacle, or Rescue Mission, holds nightly services and attracts large crowds from all the slums in that quarter of the city, just as the Mission of the Salvation Army on Vine Avenue does at the other end of the same district. But for all its scenes of revelry and vice, the police claim, and the police records show, that the place is a paradise compared with what it was only ten or twelve years ago, and it is gradually being improved by the erection of better buildings and the removal of some of the worst characters to the jails or workhouse for long terms. The police who patrol the Bowery Beats are selected from among the best and most experienced men on the force as a rule, and they all learn the locality thoroughly. They are Minette, Cruz, Freeman, Swaggerty, Long, and Malone. About a month ago, the Bowery policemen became the owners of a mascot in the shape of a small black and white dog which follows them everywhere. She will not follow any of the men on the other beats, preferring the surroundings to which she has apparently been accustomed. The dog has been christened Cripple Creek Annie, in compliment to one of the well-known women of the district, whom the police call the Queen Bee of the Bowery, and whose name happens to be the same as that bestowed on the dog. Whether the woman appreciates the compliment or not, the police have not learned. The dog will sometimes leave the beat at midnight and go up to police headquarters for supper, going out again with a morning squad, which goes on duty at 12.30. Where her former home was, the police do not know. The denizens of the district have learned the dog, and if the police are on the track of any criminal or intend to make a raid of any kind, the dog has to be tied, for otherwise she is sure to run ahead and give warning of the approach of the police. A Cripple Creek was a neighborhood down off First Creek, down by what we call the old city today. It was the red light district of the, the late 1800s, early, early 1900s. Really everything down there's pretty much changed. You really wouldn't recognize much of what was there back in 1900 today because of the, 
the work that was done on First Creek for flood control. So you have kind of have two areas. You have the Bowery, where the all-night uh, cafes and kind of bars were, and then you have the Cripple Creek area that was a little bit further up toward the old city. It was not what we call the old city today. People today like to confuse what was the really uh, nightlife kind of part of the of that area with, with what we see today and what we see today is that it was a somewhat more sedate uh, kind of place. Well, the article also mentions Cumberland Avenue as just being around the corner from the lower end of the Bowery, and that's a little disorienting to me. Yeah, urban renewal and, and the growth of the city completely obliterated a whole neighborhood that was East Knoxville. And each of the streets, Clinch, Cumberland went all the way across into the into the east side of First Creek, and, and all of that is gone now. So you have a hard time getting the lay of the land just from reading the words in the newspaper article. The areas that tended to flood were where some of the, the inferior housing was, and you wouldn't have the industrial development in those areas either. But uh, the city started a program of urban renewal back in the late 1930s called the Willow Creek Project that, that obli- started obliterating a lot of the substandard housing that was along First Creek and up, in the, up to the north of that. And there were parts of the neighborhood that were very respectable. I mean, that's one thing I think people don't quite understand is that there were some little designated areas that were really what we would call a red light district today, I guess. But that didn't extend all the way throughout. It didn't extend all the way through there. I mean, that's that's what people don't seem to quite grasp today. And they kind of, they're looking for that, that spot that they kind of dimly think must have been where a lot of wild, uh, Parties went on, <laughs> and, and and parties go on there now. But they're in a they're in a, what was a pretty sedate neighborhood back in that time. The thing that they keep mentioning is sort of the interracial aspect of the of these neighborhoods. There's uh, they're interracial couples, and and that's in this kind of the red light part of the district. But then they're sort of bordering on a really the black neighborhood, which was Vine and an area on, around there. So that you have you do have these neighborhoods. The city was not segregated strictly like it is now, and there were alleys and little areas where black families lived alongside white families. The Bowery's really pretty much gone today, and I guess what what we have surviving, like Sullivan Saloon and the big warehouses along the the railroad tracks, were were the really respectable uh, establishments of of the time. The the city had really exploded in population. It grew from a, from a town into a city between the 1870s and 1900, so that the population had gone from 8,000 to about 30,000 people. A lot of country people had moved into the city to work in the, the textile mills and the marble mills and the lumber mills and the iron industry, so there were lots of new workers coming in, and of course there was poverty and crime that was in places where people who didn't have much money or education congregated trying to get a toehold in the city. The country farmers would be coming in to sell their produce and uh, they would have been staying in the livery stables along maybe State Street and selling th- selling things they needed to sell to merchants or, or in, the t- in the town and staying with their wagons and sleeping in the wagons and of course they might have wandered out into the Bowery and gotten into a card game or gotten drunk and you know, got home and found all their money had been uh, been gambled away or stolen while they were passed out drunk. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, who were the raftsmen? The city had um, some had still had river traffic back in the 
late 18, early 1900s, there were uh, loads of lumber that were floated down the river that were sort of lashed together to be sold. And then there was still river traffic, uh, steamboat traffic too. So you had river folks around, which is something people don't think too much about in terms of, of the kind of uh, commercial life that went on in the city. The railroad had become very, very important. Knoxville was at a, a natural hub between Memphis and Louisville and various cities that, that were uh, other key points. And so we were kind of at a nice crossroads there. And we thought at that point that Knoxville was going to grow into another Atlanta or Birmingham. But we grew steadily till about 1930, and then growth kind of leveled off. And we didn't grow so big which some of us think is not such a bad thing after all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1900, nightlife, mm-hmm. party guy. <laughs> Are you going to spend the evening in Knoxville's Bowery or somewhere in Chattanooga? Oh, I think you would be in, you'd probably be in Knoxville, I think. Knoxville really had pretty, um, we had, they had horse races going on at least until, you know, the early 1900s. Um there were two tracks in town. There were, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot to get into in Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, there were a lot of, you know, respectable establishments like Kern's Ice Cream Parlor on Market Square. I mean, there were lots of places that, a, you know, a genteel persons could go out and have a, have a nice time. The Staub's Opera House on Gay Street. There were all kinds of activities that were a little bit less um, risque than going down into these slightly more yeah, entertaining kind of things you could get yourself into and I think it was the young people if you read the newspapers at the time the young younger members of some pretty respectable families like you know the Mabrys and and others ended up getting into various little escapades down into what we would call the Bowery today oh maybe sometime we could read those articles <laughs> <laughs> well Steve thank you very much you're welcome You've been listening to Historic Knoxville News, a podcast of the Knox County Public Library. The music was performed by Music Therapy, and our reader was Robbie Griffith. I'm Melissa Brenneman. Join us again for another journey into Knoxville's past.